Hello and welcome to day two of the Harvey Weinstein trial unfiltered, a daily podcast where we bring you the evidence and witness testimony verbatim just as it's spoken in court. So we're using transcripts and voice actors and we are reenacting each day's testimony, the most dramatic parts of each day's testimony. So you will hear what happened that day in court. I'm Phelan McAleer. And I'm Anne McElhenney. And we're going to get straight into the dramatic witness and evidence we heard on this day too. First of all, let's just remind you of what this trial is all about. In a case that basically launched the Me Too movement, movie producer Harvey Weinstein faces two charges of rape and one of a criminal sex act. He also faces two charges of predatory sexual assault, which carry a possible life sentence. Prosecutors are arguing that Weinstein displayed a pattern of predatory behaviour. They'll be calling four other witnesses who say they're also victims who will help prove a pattern of behaviour. But Weinstein's not facing charges connected to this behaviour. Today was one of the most high profile of Weinstein's alleged victims. Actress Annabella Scoria, who has starred in The Sopranos, True Love, Copland and Jungle Fever, claims Weinstein raped her in her Gramercy apartment in New York sometime over the winter of 1993 to 1994. But first, let's listen as prosecutor Joan Eluzi Orban questions Scoria about her early life and how she became an actress and eventually met Harvey Weinstein. Good morning, Ms. Yora. Good morning. Ms. Shiora, as I ask you questions, if there's something you don't understand or you need me to repeat it, just ask me. Okay. Tell the jury your full name and where you were born. My name is Annabella Shiora, born in Brooklyn, New York. Where did you go to high school? Brooklyn at South Shore High School. What year did you graduate? I graduated when I was 17, so 1977. What did you do after you graduated? I was already very involved in dancing, so I wanted to So I wanted to pursue. I I was dancing and I was taking an acting class and I wanted to start working professionally. My mother did not want me to. So I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts and then I worked in small productions off-Broadway. After my first two movies, I finally got an agent. What were those first two? The first was a miniseries on one of the major networks called The Fortunate Pilgrim. It was based on Mario Puzo's first novel about his mother being married by proxy, and Sophia Loren bought the rights to it. And I pursued it without an agent, and I got the part of her daughter. Okay. And after that production, were you able then to sign with an agent? I was cast. I sent my picture into somebody. I read an ad in Backstage, which I guess is an online magazine now. It used to be like a... A paper magazine, a newspaper you got at the drama bookstore, and I sent my headshot and resume in and got an audition to appear in a very small independent movie called True Love. By then, were you a full-time actress, or did you still have a day job? Still waiting on tables. It went to the Sundance Film Festival, and I was not able to go because I was still waiting on tables. I did another movie called Internal Affairs because the producer had seen True Love at the Sundance Film Festival and found me to come in and audition for a part in that, and that was a supporting part in the movie. Hence, over the next few years, were you able to get parts in other movies? Yes. Can you tell us about some of the other movies in the next two or three years you were able to get roles in and actually get leading roles in? Sure. I was I got a phone call from that Spike Lee wanted to meet with me about his. He also had seen True Love at the Sundance Film Festival, and he was doing a movie called Jungle Fever. He wanted to meet with me, and I met with him at Sparrows on 42nd Street, and we did an audition. And then I had about 
four or five auditions with the other actors that he cast. What was the name of that movie? Jungle Fever. In the meantime, what was going on in your personal life? Were you ever married? I was, yes. Approximately when were you married? New Year's Eve, 89. Approximately how long did you live with the person you were married to before getting separated? Perhaps a year. Miss Yora, at some point, did you move alone to Gramercy Park? Yes, I did. Do you recall the address there in Gramercy Park? 60 Gramercy Park North. Is that a building right off of the park on Gramercy? Yes. You moved to Gramercy alone? Yes. In the interim, though, did you continue to get rules in new movies? Yes, I did. Did you take meetings with producers and directors? Yes, I did. By the way, in your business in the entertainment industry, is it common to take meetings and sometimes auditions in hotels and hotel rooms? Yes. You lived in New York, is that correct? Yes. Then one night at a party in the Hollywood Hills, she met Harvey Weinstein. She was asked in court if she saw Mr. Weinstein in the court and she dramatically stood up and pointed at him. Um, At the party, he offered uh, to give her a lift home as she was leaving and he gave her his business card and said he's always looking for scripts. So uh, at this stage, the trial took, in my opinion, a a strange turn uh, with the prosecutor producing photographs of Weinstein and Sciorra for for no real reason, actually. It just produced these photographs of them uh, of 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 them back. I think it was the eighties, late eighties. They met early nineties, and it was Sciorra looking uh, young and pretty, and Weinstein, you know, frankly looking grizzled and rather rotund. And it kind of continued a theme that the prosecutor uh, had been pursuing that sex between Weinstein and some of his alleged victims could not have been consensual because basically Weinstein was old enough to be their father. Uh, was overweight and dressed sloppily. And that was, that's a line from the opening arguments yesterday. That is a line that 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 no one in their right mind, you know, a young, pretty actress wouldn't sleep with Weinstein. Not the strongest evidence I've ever heard. So then throughout today's evidence, she frequently produced more photographs of Sciaro. Yeah, uh, kind of in a before and after sense, so kind of as if the photograph could prove that she'd actually been raped because then she didn't look great in some of the photographs. She looked pale and she had kind of puffy eyes. Um, and I think you were sort of making the point, Phil, yes. that this would be the first time ever in a in a rape trial where, you know, they were using photographs to say that this proved something. Yes. Um, yeah, photographs of someone's appearance. Oh my, oh my God, their appearance has really deteriorated. Their eyes are puffy. That means that the rape actually happened. It, it struck me as very, very weak and very scary for... For anyone uh, out there, you know, basically, you know, a, a bad photograph, uh, could, you know, is is one step away from a rape charge. So, after she met Weinstein, she had actually had a very Sciaro had a very professional, successful relationship with Weinstein. Uh, she brought a friend's script to him, and you know, he agreed to make it only if she starred in it, uh, which is a big break for an actress uh, to star in a Weinstein movie. She agreed in the movie, The Night That Never Happened was set for production, but uh, she said she was exhausted and she wanted to pull out. Uh, he then, uh, in, actually in, this got a few laughs in court, I, I seem to remember. Well, he, he first of all sent her, he sent her, like he sent her two care packages apparently. Right. So the first care package had like licorice in it and popcorn, but also um, a container with a Valium. Um, and she said at the time that she wasn't a big drinker and she didn't take drugs. Um, and then he, at another time, sent her a second care package, That's and right. that one contained a box of chocolate penises. Yes. And she told the, the court that she felt that, that was very inappropriate and disgusting. And the court, and she told the court that she started to take the Valium from the container and um, 
again, this was kind of, this was, became obviously something that was questioned. There was a lot of questions about this afterwards, but kind of an odd one that she apparently became a drug addict based yes. on this this so, bottle of Valium and that also that she got refills, continuous refills of the Valium, mm -hmm. but she could not remember how she got them. Yeah. And she's, so she, she's basically, uh, claiming that Harvey Weinstein made her a drug addict by sending her a bottle uh, of Valium. And then we, you know, got to the sort of central reason why we had um, this witness there in the first place, really. So uh, the EDA, Orban, asked Scoria to describe the night of the alleged rape. And we're going to we're going to hear that um, right now. And again, just to warn people that there's, you know, quite a little bit of um, disturbing content here. Yeah. So just to just to remind you of how we do this. These are the uh, this is the actual transcript from the trial. This is what. Annabella Schiara said in court today, "This is the these are the questions, the exact questions she was asked and her exact answers. And as we say, she gets into graphic detail of the night that she says she was raped by movie producer Harvey Weinstein. Let's hear that. I'm going to ask you about a dinner in particular in those months between 1993 and 1994 during the cold weather. Do you recall on one evening in particular going to a restaurant that was not too far from your apartment at 60 Gramercy Park? Yes, I do. I don't remember the event. I just remember the dinner. The dinner was at a restaurant above 14th Street, but south of Gramercy Park. And it was kind of an Irish restaurant, not a pub or a bar, but an actual restaurant. And the defendant was there. And I recall Uma Thurman was there, maybe eight or nine people. Was the dinner somewhat uneventful? Yeah. Can you tell the members of the jury what happened after the dinner? As I got up to leave to go home and the defendant asked, told me he would give me a ride home. Did you accept the ride? Yes, I did. Was there anything that was, you know, in your mind inappropriate about getting a ride home from him? No, not at all. When you say a ride home, was the defendant driving? No, it was, he had a driver. Approximately how long was that ride home, if you remember? Not very long. It was fairly close. Do you remember anything about the conversation? Not really, no. Was it in any way a sexual conversation? No, not at all. What happened once you arrived at 60 Gramercy? I got out, I said goodnight, and I went home, went to my apartment. Describe your apartment. It was a doorman building with an entrance on Gramercy Park and another entrance on the other side. It was kind of a fancy building, right, with a key to Gramercy Park. Do you remember approximately what time of the evening it was the defendant dropped you off? About 10, 9.30, 10. What happened when he dropped you off? Tell us what happened next. I went upstairs and got ready for bed. What do you mean, get ready for bed? What did you do to prepare for bed? Wash my face, brush my teeth, and put on a nightgown. Do you remember what nightgown it was? Yes, I do. Can you describe it to the jury? It was a white cotton nightgown that had been given to me by my mother's cousin in Italy because I didn't really have anything of my grandmother's because she died when she was very young. So my mother's cousin gave me some things from the family. It was quite an old cotton, an antique nightgown. What happened next? There was a knock on the door. What did you do? I opened the door to see who it was, thinking it was a neighbor or the doorman. How did you open the door? I just opened it up a crack to look out. Do you recall if there was a peephole on your apartment? I don't remember. You are in your night clothes? Yes. And you opened the door anyway? Yes. Did anyone announce that somebody was coming up? 
No. What happened when you opened the door a bit? Tell the jury. Take your time. Um, the defendant was there, and he pushed the door open. I didn't have an opportunity to understand why he was there, and he started to walk. There was two bedrooms, like, separated, and there was a living room and a dining room, and he started to sort of walk around like, I don't know what he was doing. In hindsight, I think he was looking to see if there was somebody else there. And he started to unbutton his shirt, and I then realized that he thought we were going to be having sex. I ask you to take you back to the point where you see him unbuttoning his shirt. Tell us what was said or done next. I realized, like... If he was taking off his shirt, that in... Objection. He wanted to have sex, and I did not want to. I told him he had to leave. I realized what he wanted. It was pretty obvious. So I started to back up because I thought I could make it into my bathroom. And I was telling him to leave and that this wasn't going to happen. I was not feeling in any way romantic with him, and I was not having sex with him. But he kept coming at me, and I felt very overpowered because he was very big. So I tried... How much did you weigh at that time? 110, 115. How tall are you? 5'4". Continue. And so I I started to back up thinking I could make it to my bathroom and get in there. And he grabbed me and he led me into... He led me into the bedroom, which was the next room over from the bathroom, and he shoved me on the bed. I can't tell you exactly when his pants came off or exactly what happened, I don't think his shirt ever got off completely. I was wearing that nightgown, and I did not have underwear underneath. And he, as I was, as I was trying to get him off me. What were you trying to do to get him off? Punching him, kicking him, just trying to get him away. He, um, he took my hands, and he put them over my head, and he got on top of me, and he raped me. Okay, tell us what he did physically, and take your time. <clears throat> he put his penis inside my vagina, and he raped me. Again, without the conclusion, you have to describe to the jury the physical actions. He put his penis inside my vagina, and he had intercourse with me while I was trying to fight. But I could not fight anymore because he had my hands locked. Then what happened? At a certain point, he stopped and he uh, he came out of me and he ejaculated on top of me on my leg and my nightgown. Did he say anything? Do you remember any words being said during this? He said, I have perfect timing. Continue. And, um... Go ahead. <laughs> And then he proceeded to put his mouth on my vagina. And before he did that, he said, this is for you. And I didn't have very much fight left inside of me at this point. I said no, you know, but I mean, there was not much I could do at this point. My body just shut down. And then it was just so disgusting that my body started to shake in a way that was very unusual. I don't know how quite to describe it. It was shaking like a seizure or something. I, I don't know how else to describe it. What happens next? The defendant left and walked out. What happened to you? 
I don't remember a lot then. I, I know that I woke up. I'm not sure if I fainted or if I fell asleep or if I blacked out, but I woke up on the floor with my nightgown like kind of up and I I didn't know if something else had happened. Yeah. However, Miss Scario faced tough questions from Harvey Weinstein's defense lawyer, Donna Rotano. Uh, Ms. Rotano, who is a Chicago lawyer who's been brought in especially for this case, uh, you know, she focused on the inconsistencies in the account, the, the lack of clarity. Um, you know, the, the actress couldn't even remember which year it was, whether it was yeah, 1993 she didn't, you know, or it was, She couldn't remember the day or the month or the year that this happened. Yeah. But I think a bigger question that faced everyone, because one of the things that they did during this time was that they started to show photographs of the building of this Gramercy Park yeah. building. And obviously people from New York would know very, very posh, very nice address, yeah. you know. And of course, one of the things that didn't make sense was how did Harvey Weinstein, first of all, how did he know what floor to go to? Uh, but secondly, um, how did he get up? Um, to her apartment without her doorman having informed yeah. her, and I mean, people who live in New York are very aware of this. So yeah. th this became a kind of a, this became a kind of a thing that got yes, uh, it's, you know, it's the door, the doorman conundrum. How, yeah. how did Harvey Weinstein? First of all, how did he know where she lived? But also, how did he get past the doorman? But even you know, the, one of the first things Rotano took no prisoners. Uh, one of the first things she said, I don't even think did she actually say hello. To, to the witness. Was, I, she, uh, no, I think she actually did. Let's hear this this exchange of questioning um, about about the um, these inconsistencies in her story. And this is, in your words, a fancy or nice building, correct? Yes. And there is doormen that work in this building, correct? Correct. And you came home that night, right? Yes. And it is 24-hour doormen, correct? Yes. It is your testimony that you received no notification or phone call from the doorman that anybody was there? Correct. Now, Ms. Yora, this is approximately, given your timeline, 27 years ago, correct? Correct. And I think you would agree with me that in a 27-year span, it would be difficult to find the doorman that may have been working during the period of time you give us, correct? And that building had cameras, correct? I don't know. After this attack, and we will go back to it in a minute, after this alleged attack happened, did you ever ask the doorman if they had any footage of Harvey Weinstein entering the building? Did you ever call the doorman and say, why did you let someone up? No. Did you ever make a complaint to the condo or building board saying this shouldn't happen, we should not let people upstairs? No, I was devastated. I'm sure you were, Miss Yora. I'm asking specific questions that require specific answers. And did you go downstairs and say to the doorman, did anybody sign in that logbook you talked about on direct to come up to see me? No. Did you ever ask a doorman if they gave Mr. Weinstein the apartment number? No. So she said the attack had a devastating effect on her life. Um, and ADA Orban produced publicity photographs of Scoria from the time and, you know, she said you could see in her face how That's sad right. she looked. And, More photographs, yeah. Um, and you know. uh, then Sciorra uh, told ADA Orban, you know, that the attack really affected her behavior and she started self-harming, doing some very bizarre uh, things with blood. Uh, and we'll hear more about that now. And remember, the, this is an actress uh, reenacting the uh, two actresses. The, the verbatim testimony that we heard today. Yeah, the exchanges between uh, the prosecution lawyer and 
Annabella Sciorra. I cried a lot. I had a lot of what I now know is called disassociative experiences. I spent a lot of time alone. I didn't see very many people. I didn't want to have to talk about what happened. I disappeared. I began to paint the walls. I began to paint the walls. I began to drink a lot. I began to cut myself a lot. Had you ever done that in your life before this? No. How and where would you cut yourself? Do you remember? I had this wall that was, it was white, and then I began to paint it like a blood red color with tubes of oil paint. And um, it was this massive, I don't know what I was thinking or doing, but I began to cut myself and I would put, I would put the blood from my fingers, my hands into into this this masterpiece. And I would take, wherever I would put the blood, I would take pieces of gold leaf and I would mark it. Why were you doing that? I don't know. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel good and I didn't want to go out. So I spent a lot of time inside, alone. Had you ever done anything like that before in your life? No. Did you call anybody in your family, Miss Yora? Yes, I called two of my, two of my brothers. Did you tell them what happened? No, I just asked them to come over because I knew I wasn't well. Why didn't you tell them what happened? I didn't know how to tell them on the phone. I wanted them to come over so I could tell them and so that they could help me, they could protect me. Did they come over? No. Did any friend or relative come over? My brother's girlfriend came over. Did you tell her what happened? No, we talked. Skiura then told us how um, six weeks after the alleged rape, she was a guest at a dinner organized by Harvey Weinstein's company, the, Mir- the Miramax company. Um, and she explained that, you know, in order for her, you know, to live basically, you know, that she's an actress, that she has to attend these kind of dinners um, because her family are dependent on her income as an actor. So let's let's hear that exchange. Yeah, and this is where she... Uh, says she confronted uh, Harvey Weinstein about, about, the, about the rape. rape. And uh, he made a rather uh, insensitive remark and uh, was rather threatening. Let's hear that exchange as reenacted uh, verbatim. Ms. Shora, do you make your living acting? I do. For you to support yourself and your family, do you need to act? Yes. And in socializing with people and going to events, is that part of your job? Yes. Tell us what, if anything, happened that very next time you saw the defendant. I confronted him about what happened in my apartment. How did that go? To the best of your recollection, what did you say and what did he say? I tried to talk to him about what happened. I told him how I woke up and that I had blacked out and fainted. And he said, that's what all the nice Catholic girls say. And then he leaned into me and said, this remains between you and I. And can you describe his affect and demeanor when he said that to you? It was very menacing. His eyes went black and I thought he was going to hit me right there. And it was threatening and I was afraid of him. But uh, it emerged that, you know, despite his threatening behavior and despite saying that she was afraid of him, uh, Miss Sciorra uh, later auditioned for the movie Copland. Uh, Copland, it was a famous movie 
starring Harvey Keitel, Sylvester Stallone, Robert De Niro. And she said she initially auditioned for it uh, without realizing uh, it was a Miramax film. Um, she did eventually realize it was a Harvey Weinstein production, a Miramax film. Uh, but actually, it emerged during cross-examination that uh, that she had initially turned down the role, but not because Harvey Weinstein had raped her. So let's hear uh, defense attorney Donna Rotano ask Annabella Sciorra uh, some tough questions about her decision to be in the Copland movie uh, produced by the person she said raped her. You went to Cannes Film Festival in 1997? Yes. When you are in Cannes, did Miramax put you up in a hotel? Yes. And can you tell the jury what happened when you were moved into your hotel upon arrival for the film festival? When I got to the hotel, there was someone from Miramax to greet me. I checked in and she brought me, walked me to the room and told me I was in the room right next door to Harvey. Do you remember who that assistant was? I do not. How did you feel about that? Not happy. Did you check into the hotel nevertheless? I was already checked in. Did there come a point in time when you saw Harvey Weinstein in your hotel? Yes. Could you tell the jury what happened at that time? I opened the door very early one morning, about 5 a.m. Why did you open the door? Because when you're in Cannes promoting something, you also... You have to do a lot of press, and there's sometimes very early calls. And when I opened the door, the defendant was in his underwear with a bottle of baby oil in one hand and a videotape in the other. What did you do upon seeing this? Well, I got very scared. Once again, I was in my night clothes. I, um, I couldn't get past him. I backed up into the room, and I pressed all the call buttons that were on. The- what do you mean, call buttons? It was a fancy hotel, so like room service, valet service, and something else, concierge. Is that on the phone in the hotel? Yes. And? And people came and he left. Did he leave before the people came? I don't recall exactly. So it's kind of an odd, you know, exchange this really when you think about it because, you know, here's this actress now. She's a, you know, she's a name for sure right now, but like she wasn't a huge name and she talks about being tricked into doing the movie. And I don't know, I mean, we, we live in Los Angeles film and the idea of being tricked into a movie with Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, um, you know, and Sylvester Stallone, I mean, a lot of actresses, I think, you know, would love that would trick. Would grab it would, with would, both hands. Well, they'd really like that trick to be played on them, if you yes. know what I mean. So that didn't kind of make sense. The other thing that she said, actually, when she was questioned as well, she had, she had talked about this thing of that she was threatened by Harvey Weinstein, that, you know, she was threatened to be in the movie, that he was really aggressive about the fact that she had to be in the movie, and that he threatened to sue her. But actually, um, the defense, you know, pointed out that that was kind of weird, because how can you sue somebody if you haven't uh, signed a contract with them? And then she said, well, I'm not a lawyer. Um, you know, so there was, a, yeah. there was quite a lot of tests exchanges there. Uh, yeah, and you know? actually her lack of uh, legal uh, experience comes up later on uh, yeah. in, in, in the trial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she did Copland um, uh, and she said she avoided Harvey Weinstein during the, during the shoot and, and didn't see him until she went to the Cannes Film Festival for the premiere, the red carpet premiere of Copland. And we saw a picture of her on the red carpet. We remember did. that? We did herself, uh, herself and sliced it all. Uh, and then that's when she next met Harvey Weinstein. So let's hear... And another incident occurred. So we're going to hear that now from the um, from the, from the the prosecution yes, uh, telling about what happened at Cannes Film Festival. Well, they're, they're questioning her about what happened. You go to Cannes in May of 1997, and in Cannes, someone from Miramax was waiting for you, correct? And she tells you, in that moment, we put you next to Mr. Weinstein? Correct. And where was this person waiting for you? At where the transportation from the airport to hotel 
wherever I got off is where she was waiting for me. When did she tell you? We went to the room and they opened the door. We started putting everything in and she reveals to me that I am in the room next to Harvey Weinstein. And in that moment, did you say, move me to another room? Just like in London when you said, move me to another room now. You are checking into a hotel and when you are checking in, they are telling you you are going to be next to the person that has now sexually assaulted you, banged on your hotel room door, threatened to sue you twice, and you start to unpack your things? I don't think I unpacked. You didn't move rooms? I did not move rooms. How many days were you there? Too many. And I want to go back to that day that you say you got some awareness at 5 a.m. that somebody was at your door. How did that happen? I was asleep. Somebody knocked on the door, rang the buzzer. I thought it was my makeup call for the morning. I opened the door and Harvey was there. Well, you didn't have a call that day, correct? I don't know. Probably at some point. We work every day in Cannes. And you were not awake, ready for a call to be coming, correct? You said you were sleeping. I was sleeping, yes. And you hear this knock, correct? Yes. And you already know that Harvey Weinstein is in the room next to you, correct? Uh Uh-huh. And you already know that the last time you heard a knock at the door and answered it without seeing who was on the other end didn't go well, correct? Correct. And you opened the door? Yes. And you say he is standing there, correct? Yes. In a hotel hallway? Yes. In nothing but underwear? That is correct. Harvey Weinstein? That is correct. And he is standing there, and you said you tried to get the door? That's right. Why didn't you just close the door? Because he was inside my room. You opened the door and he walked right in? That's right. Once he walks in the room, why don't you then walk out? Because it was easier for me to get to the call buttons. And that's what you did, correct? That's what I did. And you don't remember if anyone, if he was still there when somebody came? I don't recall. I believe he just started leaving. And did you make any type of formal complaint to the hotel? No. He owned the hotel. Did you make any complaint to anyone who worked for him? No. You know, that the, I mean, that definitely did strike, I think, a lot of people as odd. And of course, one of the things that the defense are talking about is, the, you know, they're appealing to the, to the jury. The jury aren't experts, but the jury are full of common sense. And they're saying to them, look, if you had been, you know, imagine if you had been um, attacked in your home um, and, the, and the attack had happened when you'd opened the door without looking through the door, through the peephole in the door before you'd asked through the door who's outside the door. And the fact that you find, you know, subsequently... You know, you have Miss Kiora uh, opening the door at 5 a.m. in the morning in Cannes without asking who's there yes. b- before that. So the, the person who allegedly raped her uh, is next door. Is next door. And she gets a knock on the door at, at 5 a.m. And she immediately just and opens she, the door. she immediately opens it. You know, that and, the is, other thing, yeah, the, and the other thing that came up, of course, which we just heard, you know, is this thing of why didn't you just ask for a different room, you know? Because yeah. when she had booked into the room, you know, when they put her into the into the hotel, they said, oh, by the way, he's next door. You know, it, you know, a lot of people would immediately think, well, the first thing they should do is say, look, I want to move. I, I want to move to a different hotel. I want to move to a different room. And, um, and in fact, we'd heard, in a, you know, in a different context today, you know, she'd been in London and, and, and had moved hotels. So this this is not something she hadn't done before. So just, you know, these these questions that get asked, you know, did land did land per, fairly well. And these weren't the uh, only exchanges we had today that were that were interesting. I mean, one of the things that you talked about there, Philem, earlier was this thing of Miss um, Kiora talking about her lack of legal knowledge. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a very 
tetchy and interesting exchange. I mean, one of the colourful aspects of, of the courtroom yes. today is that we have Miss Gloria Allred there constantly, like in the front row. And by the way, extremely annoying for the rows of us who queue up in the morning from before 5am. Yeah, she a. jumps the line. She jumps the line, you know, and she just she sw- she swans, swans in. in yeah. But uh, I suppose she's actually part of, you know, somehow part of this legal thing. But but they, they but they, they, there's a very nice exchange here where... Um, the defence lawyer is asking, like, what are you doing with um, a civil attorney when we're in the middle of a criminal case? Let's hear that. And you have a civil lawyer who represents you? Yes. And she is here in this courtroom, right? Yes. Miss Allred, right in the front row, right behind me? Yes. Does she talk to you about what happens in this courtroom? She goes out in front of cameras to talk about you and your case? I don't watch television. I'm not on social media. So why did you hire her? Because I wanted to know what my rights were. And you know that she is a plaintiff civil lawyer? I'm not sure what that means. The civil lawsuit, you were sued for the apartment on Central Park West. You don't know what a civil lawsuit is? I'm not a lawyer. I'm sorry. You know this is a criminal court, correct? Now I do. I think what she was saying there, and you know, she was probably, one lawyer was probably being very polite to another lawyer, but you know, there's only one reason Gloria Allred is here, and that is to sue to get you money. They get you damages. That's what she does. She gets people money. Yeah, because in fact, and in fact, it's interesting because they were, you know, obviously she's a big high-powered lawyer and they sort of said, are you paying her? And she's not being paid. So she's um, so being paid a percentage. I think so, she's not doing it for, I don't, I don't think yes. it's a charitable uh, effort that we're watching. And you know. then there's that, then we heard uh, the exchange between her and her friend, Yul Vasquez. Yeah, this is another very interesting exchange that we we got to kind of examine, which, you know, again, is very telling. This is in 2016. We found, um, you know, Miss Scioria talked about this friend of hers, Yul Vasquez. You know, she knew him for a long time as an actor or whatever. And he got in touch with her through Instagram Mm -hmm. um, and asked for her cell number. It's a very interesting exchange. So we just hear that right now and, and, and we can talk about it afterwards. Now, in August of 2017, did you receive a communication from a friend named Yule Vasquez? Yes. Who is Yule? Yule is an actor and a friend, somebody I've worked with. Do you recall what that communication was? Yes. So did Yule Vasquez contact you on social media to ask you a question? Yes. And what social media did he contact you on? Instagram. Had you spoken to Yule in the weeks or the months before this? No. Did you will ask you at that time for your cell phone number? Yes. So he didn't have it? Apparently not. And did you give him your cell phone number? Yes. After you gave him your cell phone number, did he tell you who wanted it? Objection. Yes. And so, after he gave you your cell phone number, did he tell you, cool, Harvey Weinstein wanted it? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Did he say, cool, Harvey Weinstein wanted it? I can show you people's exhibit number 33 for identification. Yes. I'm just going to ask you some questions about that. Did you will then tell you that Harvey Weinstein wanted your cell phone number? Excuse me? Did you will then tell you in this communication that Harvey Weinstein wanted your cell phone number? Yes. And did you say, oh, that's interesting? Yes. Were you worried about this? Yes. And so did you try to get more information from Yule? I did. And at some point, did you feign saying, oh, yeah, okay, maybe he has work for me? Yes. Why did you do that? Because of, I wanted to know why the defendant wanted my phone number at this point. So at what point do you know from that that he has already transferred your number? 
that was my assumption. I was also petrified of Harvey and Yule's involvement with Harvey. And do you say why? Do you say, I don't want Harvey to have it? Do you say, what have your conversations with Harvey been? Do you ask any of those questions? Yes. Actually, the question you ask is, really, that's interesting. Are you working with him? Right. Not, I don't want him to have my number. Are you working with him is my way of trying to find out what's going on. And he says, no, I am not, right? Right. And he asks, how you are, correct? Correct. And you don't respond. And you wait until August 10th, two days later, and you say, Yule, hey there, I am okay, just more broke than I ever imagined. No insurance, etc. Just a few episodes here or there. I haven't worked in years, and I have been reaching out to friends asking for help in any way, recommendations. I am hoping Harvey has a job for me. Is that what you said? I was fishing, yes. You know, and obviously what's, you know, what stands out a mile there from that exchange with you of Vasquez is, you know, I hope Harvey has a job for me kind yes. of thing, you know. This is not, you know, because, you know, we talked yesterday about the predatory language that's mm-hmm. used and he's a monster and all these things. You know, this is not the kind of language that you use. Um, you know, I hope I can get a job off yes. the guy. It seems really odd. Right? And, it, and it did tie in with um, the defense trying to portray uh, this actress uh, as a, a little bit of a basket case, you know, there was that implication going. I felt that, you know, that be- before this uh, alleged rape, she had been in an apartment in Central Park West, where she, where allegedly she had created like three hundred and fifty, three hundred sixty thousand dollars in damage in the apartment. Um, you know, if you if you go on Google, you can see that uh, that she has had financial difficulties in the past. She admitted to being a, a Valium addict, um, but she claims Harvey made her a Valium addict. Uh, the funny bit to me was that uh, she managed to cure herself of, of the Valium addiction. How? Through a homeopathic uh, remedy that she had found in a, in in a, a pharmacy, in a, in a Walgreens or whatever. Yeah, so the, the you know for all you drug addicts out there, you know hope is on, hope is uh, hope is on its way. You could you can find the solution to your drug addictions in a Walgreens. You know, so there the open the lawyer on the opening day said to the jury, you know they're going to bring experts and tell you people behave like this and people behave like that. Use your common sense. Don't let your common sense go out the window. This case is about common sense. And there's two more exchanges, Phelan, I want to look at just before we finish up because I know we're running out of time here. And one of them, I mean, one of them was quite interesting where when she was asked by the DA, you know, today, you know, why did she not tell people at the time? Why didn't she tell people about this rape, whatever? And she said herself, she didn't think it was rape. And it's an interesting thing when you really dig down into that. This is the 90s, apparently, right? This is a girl from Brooklyn. You know, this is not a girl from the backwater. This is somebody from a hard, you know, this is a hard New York woman in her 30s mm-hmm. who's been on film sets, who's, you know, a person of the world, actually. And she said she didn't think it was rape. And I think, you know, that I think I felt like that landed and and, you know, for the jury to hear that, I didn't think it was rape. She was 33 years old. That Her definition of rape in her head was, you know, that it was, a you know, you'd be walking down a, a, an alleyway. And I think you and I were talking earlier, Philip, that was plenty of movies out there yes. already at that time. And a lot of stories out there where I think people do know exactly and did know what, what rape was. So I felt that that was um, a kind of a strange one. And the last exchange that I think we should possibly listen to here is, and it's and it's interesting because really it's where this whole thing started, yeah. um, where there's a question about Ronan Farrow and Ra- Ronan Farrow um, got in touch with Skiora with the actress um, because this story started to blow up. Yes. Um, 
And it's very, very interesting, their exchange. We're going to listen to that exchange of exactly what it is um, that she said when he got in touch with her. And I think it's kind of uh, it's kind of telling because it's her in her own words and she could have talked to Ronan Farrow. But this is what she actually said to him. And when you spoke to Ronan Farrow, Miss Yara, he told you that he was working on a story about allegations of sexual harassment against Harvey Weinstein, correct? Correct. And that some people suggested you might have something to say. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Your response was, oh, that. It's weird. I have heard that before. Who told you that? Correct? Yes. And his response was he couldn't reveal his sources, correct? Correct. And that it could help people if you knew anything, even if you wanted to talk anonymously, correct? Correct. And your response was, Miss Shiora, no, nothing happened. I don't know. I guess I just wasn't his type. So... So, you know, yeah. I guess I wasn't his type. I mean, yeah. you know, people, you know, the, the jury got to hear that. And this is 2016, by the way. This is, you know, this is not um, ancient history when she was saying this to Ronan can, Farrow. Can I just ask also, where is Ronan Farrow? Yeah, Ronan, we certainly haven't seen him in the court. Yeah, you know, this is the bad who apparently start, started, well, he did start this whole Me Too movement. And he has not appeared once uh, in, in court. But however, he is releasing podcasts about Harvey Weinstein. Um, and interviewing victims and all, but you know, interviewing people, you know, without, uh, you know, without under oath or without evidence, that's easy. Uh, they are allowed to say all kinds of things. Uh, court is where the where the rubber hits the road. And, yeah, and you know, exactly like and exactly as we're calling this podcast today, you know, it's the difference between her truth and the, the truth. truth. You know, this is all about that. And I think I think the the jury got to hear plenty today that will give them plenty to plenty to think about, you know, because um you know, one of the biggest problems I think with this witness today was, you know, she's talking about events 27 years ago and what's I think one of the things that struck me was that she had an incredibly clear memory of certain things like a certain nightdress mm-hmm. and things like that. Then she, but then you know, massive things she couldn't remember. And I think one of the things we heard over and over and over again today was, "I can't remember. I can't remember. I yeah. can't remember." When she was asked questions, and as as the defence said, you know, we can't produce tips from twenty seven years ago. We can't even find doormen from twenty seven years ago. Uh, so, so it makes it very hard, you know, for um, for the for the defendant to you know to um, to defend himself from allegations from twenty seven years ago from somebody who can't remember when it happened, what year it happened, what day it happened. You know, these are a lot of. I mean, you, you can you know, I, I think most ordinary people with common sense would think if something like this happened to you that you would actually remember the year it happened. Um, the date that it happened. Yeah. I think that that would be something that you probably would be able to recall without much difficulty. But we have to we, we have are, to wrap up. Yeah, but over, I think tomorrow, overall, overall, I would say it was probably a good day for the prosecution. Yeah, I think it was a better day for the prosecution than yesterday. Yesterday was a big win for for the defence. So today, I think it was like a kind of a, maybe it was a zero zero situation. Yes. But 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 they 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 because actually some you points. know as well you know and uh, you know we, we had Miss Skiora crying on the stand. I mean I didn't mention that, but I mean she she became emotional almost immediately when she started talking about the story, mm-hmm. um, and she got emotional quite a number of times. So you know it was it, it was it and it puts it very it's very difficult for the defence lawyer to kind of you know attack. to uh, to attack 
attack someone who's crying yes. on the stand. Yeah. But it was a very tough one to defend when somebody is remembering something that happened 27 years ago that they don't really remember. And when there's particularly salient facts that they suddenly get very mm. uh, unclear about. But tomorrow, tomorrow it's interesting. We're Dr. Gonna, Barbara Ziv. We're going to so, hear from Dr. So, Barbara Ziv. Uh, you know, the big problem for the prosecution in this case is a lot of the women uh, maintained romantic relationships with Weinstein afterwards, uh, or certainly sexual relationships with Weinstein after the, these various incidents, wrote loving emails, you know, inter- wanted to introduce their mother to him, all, you know, all this, the amazing wanted evidence. Wanted to come to their birthdays and all yes, that. Yes, and, uh, and took trips from him and all that. Dr. Barbara Ziv is a forensic, forensic psychiatrist, psychiatrist who specializes in, in, in basically proving ca- that proving that rape victims behave like this uh, all the still, time and it still makes them rape victims so that's going to so be it's so it's a, con- a very big part of the defense and it's a of contra- the, of the controversial opinion of the prosecution I should say controversial opinion and a controversial science so let's see how it stands some expert questioning tomorrow so thanks for listening uh, we'll be back tomorrow day three more verbatim uh, testimony from the Harvey Weinstein trial and if you want to help us keep on the road, because we're we're depending on you sending money in and supporting us in any way you can. If you're enjoying this podcast, yeah. please send whatever you can to unreportedstoriesociety.com. Yeah, you can That's make, unreportedstoriesociety.com and we're a 501c3, so you'll get a tax deduction. Yes, you can make your donation there uh, at the unreportedstory.com. That's what keeps us on the road and uh, uh, we enjoy bringing the truth to you and uh, let's keep doing it. Thank Thanks you. so much. Good night. Today's podcast is produced by Unreported Story Society and Magdalena Segeda and Raquel Lerman of Theater Planners. Written and presented by Phelan McAleer and Anne McElhaney. Directed by Kiff Scholl. Donna Rotano is played by Caitlin Carlton. Joan Aluzzi-Orban is played by Michelle Gardner. And Annabelle Chiara is played by Courtney Rackley. Edited by Mark Aramian. Engineered by Chris Gardner.